Well, we've had a full schedule this year during Advent. We kind of started things off at the beginning of December. Thank you, Danny. With uh, the quartet, the jazz quartet that usually plays this time of year, and so that's uh, some of Danny's friends that he, he brings in. He brings in ringers. And actually, Del was telling me uh, during the greeting that I need to say thank you to Selma here, Danny's, Danny's mom, because um, you're responsible for all these people on stage, or a lot of them. Um, so many of your kids are musical and grandkids, and so they are a blessing to us. And usually Leslie is here to play this time of year, Danny's daughter, but uh, she and her husband live in Minnesota now. So, oh, man, that's a long, that's a long ways away. I know that's how Danny feels. Um, we, but we started with Jazz Sunday last week. We celebrated Santa Lucia, and I got a picture to share with you for those of you who weren't able to join us. And these are three of our kids here. We got Violet. On that side, CC in the middle, and Sia on, on that side. And Santa Lucia is a celebration of light. And so we're only a couple days away until the uh, days start becoming longer instead of shorter. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited for that. And Lucia was a, a teenager who dedicated her life to really serving the poor at a, a time in the Roman Empire where it was not popular to be a Christian. And so she reminds us, or is an example of us, sorry, I have a computer freak out here happening. Um, Lucia reminds us to take risks in serving God. And that we celebrate Christ, the light of the world, this time of year. And sometimes it seems like darkness is stronger. But that's simply not the case. Wherever the light is present, darkness flees. And so this time of year is a special time of year for so many of us, just as family gathers and uh, traditions kind of kick in, sometimes new traditions start, and we celebrate all those things this time of year. But one of the most familiar images surrounding the birth of Jesus is in Luke chapter 2, and it's the scene of Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem uh, for Caesar's census to be counted in their kind of hometown or their town of their family origin. And about that time, Mary was ready to give birth. And so they inquire at a local inn or a hotel, a place to stay, if there's room for them to spend the night. And they're told, no, there's no room in the inn. And this has to be unbelievable, right? I mean, you're looking at Mary, who's nine months pregnant. She's with child. I mean, uh, who wouldn't make room for her? Perhaps the innkeeper was indifferent. Perhaps he was cruel and heartless. We don't know. Maybe he just didn't have the space. And so our lives are often like that inn and that innkeeper. We'd like to accommodate Jesus. We'd like to make room for God. But with very, very full lives and schedules, we don't think that we have the space. We don't think that we have the time. And so our Advent theme this year is about making room. How can we make time how can we make space for God, for his son, Jesus? And uh, three weeks ago, we began this Advent journey by meeting two sets of very unlikely first-time parents. The first set was uh, an older couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. 
And uh, we know just a little bit about their life story, and one of it is probably a very deep disappointment and pain. They were unable to have children. And then we're introduced to Mary, who's yet to be married, very young woman, and all three of them were living in the land of Israel at a time when the Romans occupied and ruled, at a time when God had been silent to his people, to the nation of Israel for over 400 years, that he'd made a promise. He'd promised to send a Messiah, a deliverer, a savior for his people. But what was taking so long? And so three weeks ago, we began our Advent journey learning to make room for God's promises. God's promises take time to mature, time in our life, time in history. It's kind of like good fruit. It takes time to ripen. And so while we wait for God's promises, we wait for them in hope. Zechariah and Elizabeth, these unlikely first-time parents, they waited, waited their whole lives for the blessing of a child, and it never happened. But then suddenly, everything changed. While Zechariah was serving his priestly duties in Jerusalem, an angel appeared to him and delivered news that his wife would conceive, that they would have a son who would bring many of the people of Israel back to the Lord their God. This must have been hard for Zechariah to believe because he asked, he asked for confirmation. Give me proof. How can I be sure, he says. And that confirmation came in the form of silence. The angel made him deaf and mute for the next nine months because of his lack of faith. Then we met Mary, and we learned to make room for mystery. The angel Gabriel then appeared to Mary, probably a teenager at the time. She was engaged to Joseph. And uh, the story tells that, or the angel tells her that she's going to give birth to a son, the Messiah, the promised one for Israel. You're to name him Jesus. This is stunning for Mary, also confusing. Mary's unwed. She's a virgin. How is this going to happen? We're told, for God, nothing is impossible. And so Mary believed. She trusted. Making room for mystery means that life isn't figured out. How many times have you said that to someone or maybe even to yourself? I just got to figure this out. I don't know what's going on right now. I'm kind of unsure of this or whatever. I just got to figure it out. Well, life isn't figured out. It's revealed to us. That's how God works in our life. He reveals what's next. And as he reveals his plan for our life, our job is to respond in trust like Mary. Faith. I don't know all the details here, God, but I trust you. You've got my best interests in mind. Uh, sometimes our response is, is to try and control. And as Matt Randall delivered this message a few weeks ago, he's talking about the results, right? We're so, we're so worried about the outcome. How is this going to turn out? How can I influence this in the right direction? That's the wrong place to worry about. We're only in control of our response to what's happening. And so how can we respond in faith and in trust to what God is doing in our life? Last week, we talked about making room for others. You know, God comes into the world through community. And so we make room for him by making room for one another. And one of the most beautiful uh, relationships here in this story is one that I probably haven't paid much attention to my entire life. And it's the relationship between Mary and Elizabeth. 
last week we're, we're reading the story, and it was just read this morning for the Advent candles here. You know, Mary hurries to Elizabeth's side. And, and you see this mutual support and love for one another in this story. And uh, she hurries to help support Elizabeth. And Elizabeth makes room for her, even though Mary is the one carrying the promised Christ child. Elizabeth isn't threatened by that. She blesses Mary. She encourages Mary. She lifts Mary up. So there's this very beautiful, almost poetic picture of this older woman who shouldn't be pregnant and this younger woman who shouldn't be pregnant. And they're pregnant together. At the end of that uh, time, Luke tells us that Mary stayed for about three months and then returned home. That's where we pick up the story today. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, but his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among any of your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child, and he asked for a writing tablet, because he couldn't talk at the time. They asked, he asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. What then is this child going to be? You ever wondered that? Thought that about a, your kids or a kid you knew? I mean, this is a question we ask all the time. It's impossible not to dream about kids' futures, especially when they show a strength or an aptitude, a certain ability. You know, are they going to be an athlete? Are they going to be an artist, a musician? A writer? Are they going to be good at math? Are they going to become a teacher? Or, or what? What are they going to grow up and be? So much promise, so much hope. Well, the people in the Judean hill country wondered about Zechariah and Elizabeth's son. What's this child going to be? And the literal saying in the text is that people laid it up in their hearts. Sometimes when we translate, you know, if we translate it literally, nobody knows what it means. This is one of those where they should have just done it literally. They laid it up in their hearts. Isn't that a beautiful image? I mean, that's just like remembering fondly, or they treasure this in their heart. It's similar to what Mary says at the end of Luke chapter 2, when Jesus is a boy, and he gets left behind after their extended family visits Jerusalem during Passover, and they find him in the temple, and Jesus says this, he says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And it says that Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. It's a really similar saying here to what the people 
listening to John or seeing all that's happening with the birth of John, they say the same thing. They treasured all these stories. Well, I would call that kind of um, realization, or I've come to this last year, I've come to learn a new saying that I've described now. I, I would call that a kairos moment. It's the moment where heaven kind of seems to be breaking into earth and you're going, God, what's up here? You're up to something. I'm not sure what. This is what's happening for our main characters in the story up to this point. Mary, Elizabeth, and Zechariah, they knew God was up to something. They knew they played a central part in this unfolding drama, but what would happen next? And so as Mary exits stage right, she, turns, she returns to Nazareth. She's three months pregnant, which means that she's probably starting to show and people can, you know, notice that she's pregnant. Remember, she's not married. She's young. In this culture, she would have been in a very vulnerable position here. Some families would have just cut her off. And there's no social services at this time or in this area. They haven't, nobody's even thought of that yet. I mean, she's really, really, really vulnerable. On top of that, she's heading through the Judean hill country. Um, so this would be an area in Israel, uh, I, th I think it's kind of the northwest of Jerusalem, but it's, it's surrounding Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, footpaths, we're not talking a highway grid system. There would have been roads, I guess, uh, as they would have had back in that day. But it's up and down, it's windy roads, it's forested, you know, it's kind of dangerous. Bandits would have lived in this area. And so here's this, you know, teenage girl who's three months pregnant, just walking down the road. I mean, Mary has guts. She's brave. I was thinking about that this week, and I'm like, well, maybe she wasn't brave. Maybe she's just like, hey, angelic visitor, miraculous conception, ain't nobody going to touch me, right? <laughs> like, you know, Bring it on, right? <laughs> She's confident. You always think of Mary, you know, when you read scripture, you think of Mary, meek, and mild, and I'm like, man, maybe not. Maybe she's just kind of sassy. She's like, yeah, I'm just walking, walking home. Try and stop me. It's entirely possible that Mary uh, would have stuck around long enough to see the birth of, of John. In fact, I think that's probably really likely. And she would have been there during this this naming ceremony, the circumcision. Imagine what that would have done for her confidence to witness this. I mean, as Ze Zechariah, they're making signs to him. So I, I don't think he can hear either. So he didn't, you know, hear his wife say, hey, his name is John. I don't Maybe they had talked about it. He has a writing tablet, but that would have been probably a piece of wood that they cover with wax. So, you know, there's, there's some effort there required to renew that or redo that. So who knows how much they're actually talking. But this miraculous, you know, they, what's his name going to be? Oh, it's going to be John. Oh, let's ask his dad. What's his name going to be? And then his tongue is loosened. This would have been the first opportunity that he had a chance to tell his story. Hey, what happened nine months ago? Well, I saw an angel in the temple. He told me that we're going to have a kid, this kid. His name is John. I mean, this would have been stunning. And so for Mary to be there, that would have given her tremendous confidence that God was powerfully at work in her life. 
And she would have needed that to withstand all the gossip, all the judgment, whatever was waiting for her back in Nazareth that she would likely face once she got there. And, you know, God's call on our life is like that. You know, he puts it out. He reveals to us his, his plan. And we respond in faith and take big gulps, right? Okay, Lord, I'm not sure I'm strong enough to do that. But when we respond, when we step out in faith, God is often right there to catch us, to, to show us experiences, to reinforce, like, I can do this. I've got, I've got you. You've got this. To kind of harden our resolve for what's going to happen next. Often, 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 when we respond to God's call or whatever he's asking us to do, when we respond like that, he'll create these experiences to kind of temper us, to harden our faith. And this is what has to happen to Mary during this time. Elizabeth would have needed it too because she's swimming upstream here when it comes to naming John. I'm so, so impressed with the character, the, the strength of character that Elizabeth shows. You know, choosing a name for a child, it's, I, I think it's hard, at least it was for Corey and I. And uh, I'll never forget, we learned a, a lesson when our son Mark was born. And uh, before we knew whether Mark was going to be a boy or a girl, okay, and, you know, early stages of pregnancy, hadn't had any of the ultrasounds. And some of you are like, oh, yeah, like old school, right? Uh, no ultrasounds, you just wait. Uh, so, you know, we picked out uh, a boy name and a girl name. And the boy name was easy. We were going to name Mark after, he's named after Corey's dad. So that was simple. The girl name, I, we couldn't, I mean, we couldn't land on one that we both liked. But over time, we kind of gravitated towards one that we're like, you know, this one's super cute. We like this one a lot, and we made the mistake. We made the mistake at a family gathering of, share, you know, they're like, oh, hey, what are your names? Oh, Mark is one idea, and the girl's name, and we shared it. Boy, was that a mistake. That name elicited such a strong emotional reaction. We weren't prepared for that. I mean, it's, oh, you can't do that. That's an old-fashioned name. Sounds like a grandma. You know, oh, no, don't use that name. You'll regret it. I knew a person that had that name, and, you know, I still have PTSD from that person in my life. There's just all these reasons on why we shouldn't choose that name. And you're, you're kind of going like, I wasn't really asking your opinion. <laughs> but now if it's a girl, we're going to have conflict. <laughs> and I know you're all dying to know what name it was, aren't you? It was Jezebel. Just kidding. No, I'm not, not going to tell you because I don't really want your opinion. <laughs> But it was a cool name. And thankfully, it was never, ever a, a problem because, you know, a few weeks later, we found out, oh, it's a boy, and he's going to be named Mark. So here's Elizabeth. She's got neighbors, relatives gathered around, lots of opinions ready to be shared about the name of this child. And many cultures take the naming of a child so much more, I don't know if it's seriously, but, it, but it's an event, okay? This is... And we're super individualistic in our culture. You know, mom and dad pick the name and everybody is just like, yay, great. But in a lot of cultures, it's kind of group process. 
And, you know, even though we live in an individualistic culture, we still kind of have that communal influence, at least uh, Corey and I did. I'm sure many others do too. But where a community is involved, names carry such huge significance. And I can only imagine the pressure Elizabeth would have felt. I mean, that would have been exponentially stronger here for her when everyone's gathered around and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, his name is John. They don't believe her. Oh, what does dad say? I mean, think about it. Like, does my opinion count here at all? No. What is, so they make signs to Zechariah. He asked for a writing tablet. His name is John. John means God is generous, or Yahweh has shown favor. It recalls what Elizabeth said in verse 25 when she becomes pregnant. We'll put this on the screen for you. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he's shown favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Then again, in verse 58, she says, the Lord has shown her great mercy. And so she captures this. I mean, she's being obedient to what God said. God is generous. His name is John. And I would bet that almost every time Elizabeth calls out after her son, John, she's reminded of God's goodness to her. Isn't that so, so cool? His name is John. In this moment at the naming of John, Elizabeth also does something else. She kind of changes his life's trajectory. John isn't going to be just like his dad, who's a priest. No, John's going to be a, a prophet. That's a hard job. The angel Gabriel says about John, he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Kind of intimidating to have your life's job description like there before you're even born, right? People have a way of living into their names. John lives into his name. Yahweh has shown his favor, favor towards his people because their Messiah is coming. Well, like I said, the neighbors, the relatives object. Hey, this isn't in line with our tradition. This isn't how we do it. You know, that's all traditions are, right? It's like, well, how have we always done it? And what's everybody else doing? But who cares what everybody else is doing? What matters is what God has asked us to do. And hearing his voice and doing what God says is what matters most. That's what Zechariah learns. You know, as the reader, we're aware of something that no one else knows in this story, that when the angel visited Zechariah, he tells him, you know, your, your, your wife is going to bear you a son. You're going to call him John. And then Zechariah the priest, the professional God follower here, he didn't do so well in that moment. He didn't believe the angel. He wanted confirmation. He wanted proof. 
And it's always tempting, isn't it? When we respond to God, when we think we hear his voice, we always want proof. God, prove it. Show me, show me you're real. Even though people in the Bible over and over again, they witness miracles. They see these things happening before their eyes. There's no other explanation, but this is God. And yet, not all of them believe, do they? It's not an automatic thing just to see a miracle. Oh, God, if I just see this miracle, then I'll believe. No, you probably won't. But thankfully, thankfully, we worship a God of mercy, of grace, of second chances. Not having faith does have consequences. For Zechariah, he's had nine months to think it over. The angel made him unable to speak, unable to hear, we, at least we assume. So Zechariah asks for something to write on. What's he going to say? He doesn't waver. He does exactly as God asks. His name is John. Learning to hear God's voice is one thing, but doing what God asks us to do is quite another. You know, hearing God's voice probably won't be for us at quite the volume, quite the intensity as Zechariah or Mary experienced this, being visited by an angel. But you know, their stories are worthy of being recorded in the Bible. But they still had to pay attention. That's where hearing God's voice, figuring out what you want me to do next here, God, it starts with paying attention. In these moments when God breaks in, we call them kairos moments. They can be recognized by us. We can learn to see them. And often they leave an impact behind. Sometimes it's a positive experience. Sometimes it's a negative experience. Often it's an opportunity for us to grow. But that thought of like, was that you, God, is something that just lingers. And that's why we need community, really, to talk it over. You know, everybody can follow Jesus on their own, right? Oh, I got Jesus. Yes, I do. I've got Jesus. How about you? Um, you know, hey, I'm saved. This is my individual faith. What good is the church? Well, we need one another to help us. You know, the Mary and Elizabeth connection, that's like a pattern. We need the, the people who are, uh, have been long in their faith, and have experienced a lot to come alongside those of us who haven't and those of, who are long in our faith and have experienced that need the enthusiasm and the joy and the fresh perspective of those who maybe it doesn't seem as stale we need one another to help us like hey i think this was god's voice or i think this is what god is asking me to do and someone who can gently say to us like no that's a bad idea right that's i don't i don't know if that's god or we need people like, like Elizabeth and Mary Elizabeth to say, God's blessing be upon you. This is a miraculous and wonderful thing that you're experiencing. They encourage, they pick us up, they build us up. That's why we need one another. We need a community of faith. And so right here in the birth of John, leading up to the coming of Christ, we see this lived out. The other thing we see and when we're talking about the God of second chances is you're never too old to start hearing and doing. Look at Zechariah. He's an experienced priest. He should have gotten all the right answers. He didn't do well on the first exam, but you know what? He finished well. His name is John. 
that should be encouraging to all of us. It's not one and done. No. You make a mistake. You mess up. You humble yourself or you are humbled. You come before the Lord. You ask his forgiveness. You say, "Uh, I'll do my best next time. That's what living a life of faith is. You know, um, John would prepare the way uh, uh, for Jesus. He would come in the spirit of Elijah, and he was known as John the Baptist. He performed a baptism of repentance. Repentance means that you need to change your mind about something. You know, in our relationship with God, this is happening to us all the time, or at least it should be. You know, sometimes we stray far from what the Lord would want for us, and we need to do an about-face. We need to come back towards him. We need to, like I said, ask forgiveness and intend to do it over. But repentance also happens when the Lord shows us something that we need to change our mind about. Bette Dickinson observes this whole, like, repentance with Zechariah. She says this in her devotional making room. She says, what fills our heart about God makes its way out through what we say and do. And for those of us who've been challenged to wait in silence like Zechariah, we can take heart from his story. Even though he was benched for a time because of his doubt, God gave him a chance to rise and speak in time. In silence, God can weed out the parts of us that produce bad fruit and plant his words that produce good fruit. And when this happens, like Zechariah, we will erupt with our own songs of praise. You know, Christians of all people, we should do well with change. Because we're used to hearing God's voice, we're actually very practiced at, well, maybe I didn't have the best idea or I had the wrong whatever, or maybe I did sin and I need to repent and go, you know, we should be practiced at this, at change. You know, being faithful isn't the same as being rigid. Being faithful is, I care most about what God thinks, and I want to do what God wants. So there's where my loyalty lies, not just with doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. God's called us to be faithful. God's called us to also, though, be flexible, too. And so here we set 2,000 years removed from the arrival of Christ as a child. That was Advent 1.0. And today is a season not only just of remembering that Jesus came, but also a season of preparing. We're preparing our hearts during Advent, the lead up to Christmas. We're preparing to receive our King anew once again. Each and every year we get to do this as we look forward to when he returns again. We allow Jesus to shine his light on what impedes his kingdom on earth today. So until Jesus comes back, he's invited us to join him in doing his work for his cause, with his people, in his place. Let's make room for Jesus to do that this year. Amen? Please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for the gift of this story of Zechariah, of Mary, 
Zechariah and Elizabeth and of Mary. And so often we just want to rush forward uh, to the singing of the angels and the shepherds and the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, Lord. But we skip over so much goodness in what it means to wait for you. You've provided us examples, Lord, in Scripture, people to look up to, uh, people who make mistakes but nail their second chances. Lord, you provide us people like that in our own lives and, and flesh and blood. Help us to lean on one another, Lord. Our faith is not just something done alone. It's not just between me and you. Our faith is done in community. So as you prepare the way, Lord, as you prepare the way in our hearts, remind us that this year. Let us not be scared to repent, to change our mind, to say we're sorry, to ask for forgiveness, or just to try something new. We know, Lord, that you will lead us towards your son. And we pray this in your precious name.